Welcome to PCTY Talks, a new podcast from the human capital management software provider, Paylocity. I'm your host, Sherry Simpson, and as an HR program manager at Paylocity, I will be navigating our journey together as we explore bite-sized topics around HR thought leadership, compliance, diversity and inclusion, and product knowledge. If you have an idea for a future podcast topic, please drop me a note at pctytalks at paylocity.com. Sarah, thank you so much for taking some time to jump on the call with me to talk about a very serious topic, really, um, having difficult conversations. But before we dive in, I thought maybe you could share a little bit about yourself and your background. Yeah, thanks, Sherry. Happy to be here. I work as a senior HR business partner at Paylocity, um, supporting several internal teams. And my, my background, I've got about 10 years experience working in HR. Most of it spent um, at a smaller company, kind of as your classic HR department of one and helping them elevate from like traditional focused HR to a little more progressive Um, and had my fair share of difficult conversations um, being in an HR role. Yeah, I think um, you know all of our HR payroll and business professionals listening. I'm, I'm sure you have in your head that book that we all talk about writing someday for all the difficult <laughs> yeah. situations you've encountered. Um, so again, I'm really thankful that you're here to bring your expertise around the topic. Um, and I thought we could start with just talking about some of the very regular situations that come up with managers. Um, they have to deal with employees and they can be very difficult conversations. I think there's such a wide gamut of the challenging conversations that come up. The more regular ones, I, I might liken them to things around like hygiene, office romances, inappropriate attire, uh, even you know, using pleasantries, like when people call you, honey, sweetie, cutie pie. Yeah. Um, I'd say that's, (laughs) that stuff shows up um, probably the most regularly from what I've seen. Well, I can think of a handful of of examples where this has come up. Um, There's one that sticks out in my mind. Um, Just as I was a kind of newer HR practitioner and I had a newer manager who I was trying to guide through a hygiene issue that had popped up. Um, the manager had been with the company for a while. He was a, an individual contributor, newly promoted into an entry-level manager role. And about a few months in, he started receiving a number of complaints about a particular employee's hygiene. This employee was his friend before being promoted into a manager. The gist of the complaints were like, they stink. There's a bad smell coming from this person. I don't want to approach them at their desk because it's hard for me to breathe. I can't focus. Um, so hard for the manager to, um, I think, approach this individual. So he came to me and was like, hey, I'm getting complaints. This needs to be addressed immediately and kind of starts to walk away. Um, and so as the HR person, I'm like, oh, hang on a second. Yes, agree. Uh, definitely needs to be addressed immediately. And I would like to talk more about that. And I, I explain, you know, as their leader, really, he is the best person to address this issue with his employee. Um, and like I'm sure many of the listeners can attest to, the manager pushes back, <laughs> says, you know, I, I think it was something like, well, we have a policy on hygiene it's in the handbook. So it's an HR issue and kind of like, I'm not light, nicely served this on a platter to you. Um, 
I think that's one of the other challenging pieces for the HR person is to engage with the manager to help them understand that they actually are in a really good position to help navigate something like this that's hard. Um, and so I just I just said to him, like, let's play this out. I, I'm HR. I don't know this individual. If I'm the one holding the conversation, me, the HR person, um, about this sensitive topic versus you, like, is... I just am not sure that I'm going to be the best one to keep this open and at least allow an amount of comfort to exist in the conversation. I think I'm going to heighten it and maybe she'll close down more. Um, while he didn't love that because that meant he he really should have, should have the conversation, um, got him on board. And, I, and I, I just said, I said, listen, I know it's tough. You're friends with this person and it's going to be an uncomfortable situation. My goal is to get you ready. I'm not going to let you walk into this unprepared. And it was actually really great because the manager and I got to establish a relationship working through this. We went through a couple of things together, right? You know, having gone through a few of these prior to this new manager being promoted, um, I had kept like any good HR department of one uh, notebook of all these lists of processes I was one day going to document. So I opened my trusty notebook <laughs> and I've got, you know, like a handful of things that I made sure um, that I remembered when I was navigating conversations like this. And I took him through it. The first thing I said was, assume nothing. Assume nothing and humanize the person. Um, and I, because he was new, I wanted to know what assumptions he might already have. We didn't have a formal leadership program or anything like that. So he hadn't been through any like unconscious bias or sensitivity training, nothing like that. And so I asked him, what do you think is going on? And his response was something like, I think she's just not wearing deodorant or washing her clothes. Like, I think it's something like that. And ask him, why Why does he think that? And he's like, I don't know. Maybe she's lazy. Ouch. Right? As the HR person, you kind of have that, oh, yikes. Yeah. And I ask him, is there any other reason you can think of? You know, not, not really. I, I can't. And so I say to him, I'm like, okay, what if you enter this conversation and you find out she's got a medical condition that prevents her from practicing normal hygiene? And she like just received the diagnosis. He's like, I feel like a jerk. Yeah, I would too. <laughs> um, I would too. So we got, it, it was really helpful to go through that with him because not having a formal training, I was able to get his mindset to shape in the right way um, to walk into the conversation. So he, and then what was great is after that, he's like, well, maybe it could be this. And he started brainstorming all these ideas of what it could be. And I'm like, yes, and it could be any of those things and it could be none of them. So the point is, you just don't know. Once we got past that, the next part we walked through is just mapping out when and where the discussion is going to take place. Use a regular one-on-one -on -one and in your office, that feels natural. And that's after that, that's when we got into building out what is the script going to look like? Given that this manager has had no experience having these conversations, he wanted to have the actual words that he would use mapped out. And I mean, like he wrote them word for word because that's what he needed to feel comfortable. So I told him like... in. In a conversation like this, there's really like four pieces. Start off how you normally start off. You're, you're in a one-on-one. -on -one, so just ask the employee, how are things going? What do you have on your list? Get an idea of what they want to talk about. And then at some point, you need to insert this topic because it's something that he believed would be really tough for the employee to hear. Um, I said, that's why step two is letting them know you're going to share, you're going to talk about something difficult, giving them just a little heads up. This isn't going to be easy. The next thing I'm going to say, and the words we came up with was, is just really simple. I need to bring up a tough topic. 
and then pause and let that just sink for a second. The next piece is just laying out the facts. And this is where the manager and I had to work a little bit to identify what were the actual facts because he was so uncomfortable with how to word this that he started at first just wanted to kind of share all the quotes that people had raised from their complaints. But we ultimately, as looking back, is like, I don't know that's going to be productive for her to hear all these individual quotes that came out from the complaints. So we landed on with something that was a little general, but it was factual. I've received some feedback recently that there is an odor coming from you or your work area. And the last part is just pause and let them respond. So the manager and I role played this because he felt uncomfortable at first. And I was really glad that we did because by the end of it, I felt like he could have coached someone else on on how to navigate the conversation or at least open it up. The last piece we did before I sent him on his way, we mapped out the different ways he thought the employee could react. He, he believed this employee would be embarrassed and might shut down or, you know, want to go home and never come back to work. Like that's that's what he thought this employee would do. But we mapped out some some other scenarios, you know, would they take ownership? Would they share something sensitive? Would their reaction be really big and loud? And how would he respond to each of those? That's the kind of guidance I'm used to in these scenarios, walking managers through who don't have exposure to it. And to be quite frank, I wish it's something that someone had taken me through as an early HR practitioner. I think you touched base on so so many things, but on a couple skill sets, a couple pieces of, of information and points in your process that um, I think we're going to see, not knowing the rest of the things we're going to talk about, but I think we're going to see throughout the rest of the conversation. And um, it's a couple things. So it's assuming, not not making assumptions that you know why the thing is happening or how the person's going to react and planning for those scenarios. The other thing is the pause. So many people don't um, leverage that or don't allow that time to sit in the silence um, as managers and letting our employees do it. Um, creating that pause says, I'm here for you. I'm listening. I'm waiting to see what you're going to have to say. It shows empathy. And I think that's really important. The other thing you touched base on, and I was hoping you could elaborate it, elaborate on it a little bit. And I think this example that you shared is really good because this was somebody that he knew outside of outside of work or they were friends inside of work is the bias piece. Um, what recommendations have you given to keep that bias in check? Well, there is one piece of advice for folks who've gone through some form of training before. I, I usually just say like, if you're going to be like, before you walk into the conversation, acknowledge what your biases might be about the person. I believe this person is, you know, smart, intelligent, lazy, whatever it is that you believe, like acknowledge them and then be willing to put them in a box and say that has no place in my discussion. Or I don't want these things to come out because I might miss something important. I think guidance for HR folks might not be a whole lot different. So I, you know, full transparency and in the spirit of helping our HR community, um, I've had biases going into some of these conversations and I didn't realize it until afterwards when I reflected on the words that came out of my mouth as I was trying to navigate something. And they weren't from a bad place in my heart, but it's it's little things like, you know, I, I could be even as simple as saying spouse instead of husband and wife, like just something as simple as that. And I think raising your awareness before you go into a conversation of these are the biases I might have or I might bring in 
I don't know that something you'll get perfect every time, but you'll get better at it. So I guess it's awareness and reminding yourself that we all do have biases. It's really just about what you do with them. So when you're in these scenarios, which we've all been in, um, the reaction, you know, as you said, what one of your man, the, the manager suggestion could be that there's an outburst, right? Um, I've been in that scenario where I've been dealing with an employee and the employee has been screaming and yelling over a matter that's definitely not a screaming and yelling situation um, or, or a situation where somebody's crying or maybe somebody shuts down. How do you think about handling that? Okay, so now you've ha- you have the scenario and you've walked through the scenario. But what about the emotional piece? I think a lot of times people only talk about this from the angle of a female crying in my office. And that's just one view of emotion. Yeah, there's a whole spectrum there of how this shows up. I mean, it can be crying, male, female, it doesn't matter, human. (laughs) Um, Emotions from humans is what it looks like. So Sherry, I think there's probably three big ones. And you mentioned some of them already, crying, shutting down and yelling. When it comes to the crying, I think first of all, if you're in person, make sure you have tissues always in your office um, because tears need to be wiped up so people can feel good whenever they leave, whatever place they're in. And generally with crying, like I I allow them, depending on the situation, it it is highly situational, but I, I oftentimes allow them to sit in that feeling for a second. If you have just shared something with them or they have shared something with you that has sparked this emotion, a lot of the times they're entitled to have a moment to feel it. I know that that can feel uncomfortable for both an HR practitioner or a manager. I mean, sometimes when I've been in a situation, I'm like, where do I look? What do I do with my hands? Like, how do I make sure I am showing empathy, but also giving them the space to feel what they feel? Um, And that's the guidance I would give managers is like, unless there's something that has to do with like a risk of safety, you can let the person have a moment and feel what they feel. Let them have their feeling. Let them kind of like calm themselves down and then maybe pick up where you think you left off. Um, And for HR practitioners, I kind of say the same thing. Let them have their moment. Make sure you have tissue on hand. And then once it feels appropriate to restart the conversation, great. If you don't get to that place and the person is crying, and actually I'd say this with all of those three um, types of emotions you see, crying, shutting down, and yelling, is you can also say, you know, I know this isn't easy. Would you like us to reconnect later? Like there's, you always have the option to say, you know, is it better if we reconnect later? And if the conversation's not going to be productive, especially if you've already given the essential information you need to, then sometimes it's best to stop the conversation and restart it later. If I move to the second one, shutting down, this one's tough for me because it's hard when you're not getting feedback from the other person. You don't know what's going on. You don't have a good clue as to what's going on inside for them. Um, And so a couple of things here at the top of the list, talk less, say less things, allow the silence to linger a little bit longer than what feels natural. It's going to feel unnatural. I, as an HR practitioner, have had to practice this in the mirror by myself uh, to get comfortable with it. And with managers, I ask them to role play with me because I want to make sure they feel comfortable going into it. They know how that's going to, the awkwardness is going to feel. The other recommendation I have when someone shuts down is gently calling out, I'd like to hear what you're thinking and just, and then pause and let them respond. Um, 
I have had my fair share of cases where people shut down and like, I'm just not getting anywhere. Even if I say, I'd like to hear what you're thinking. It's like, nope, everything's fine. They kind of shrug the shoulders or they don't say anything. They just divert their eyes in another direction. Um, And that's where I say something kind of similar with the silence. Like, I know this can be a lot to process or this can be a lot to process. Why don't we regroup tomorrow? Because ultimately, if the conversation is not going to be productive, it's not a good use of time for you or the individual. And they're clearly experiencing something that's getting in the way of them talking. Now, Sherry, the last one, yelling. This one's a bit different. I'm going to add a caveat before I <laughs> before I answer with some guidance. The caveat is as long as you still feel safe, because there are degrees of yelling. There is yelling like, I'm just raising my voice because I have big emotions. There is also a type of yelling where you don't quite feel safe and you always have the option to end that conversation if you don't feel safe. If you do feel safe, I like I like the approach of politely pausing the discussion and acknowledging the feelings you see and sharing your expectation of how you like what you want to ask if we're going to continue the conversation. So here's how it might sound. I want to pause the conversation for a second. I recognize this can be difficult to process. It can be a lot. It can be emotionally charging. I want us to have a productive conversation where we can both share and listen to each other in a respectful way. Do you need a second? Say something like that. Do you need a second? Or just ask, you know, can we commit to that? Hopefully the answer is yes. Sometimes it will be no. Sometimes your answer is when they start yelling more, then you know the answer is no. Um, And as a theme with all of this, if the conversation is not going to be productive and you If you needed to share something and you got that critical information out, then it might be time to shut down the conversation. You might also, if you haven't got the critical information out, you might decide to send it in a different forum um, to allow the employee a chance to digest it, but also so that you can come back and have the discussion you were hoping to have initially. You know, Sarah, I like that. um, And I don't even realize, I don't even think you realize you're doing this, but you're actually modeling the other thing I would add to this whole conversation is your your tone of voice and your cadence. It's really hard to have somebody yell at you when you're speaking calmly and quiet and showing empathy. Um, you know, I have found that that's been very successful in my career when I've when I found myself in those situations. Um, when I think about these big emotions that you see when handling some of these difficult conversations, um, I think the scenarios we've been focusing on have been really kind of work-related scenarios, um, performance, hygiene, some of the things that you've talked about. Um, but there are some real difficult scenarios that can happen in our employees' lives that um, take us off guard. And I want to talk through at least three of them and how we can um, be supportive and, and handle some of those conversations. So um, these are tough. These might be triggers for some people listening to our episode today. So I will put that caveat out there. Um, the first one I want to start with, though, is um, a passing of a loved one and or a passing of an employee. Sherry, those are tough. <laughs> they are um Yeah, they might be at the top of the list, at least for me personally, of tough conversations to have. Sherry, I think with passing of loved ones, there's a couple of things 
as an HR practitioner or an HR practitioner guiding a manager, you keep in mind. I mean, you're, it's hard because these things, especially if you've built relationships with people inside your company, they can tap into your own emotions, which in turn can make it really hard to show up the way you want to for the person on the other side, the person who experienced the loss. So just like I mentioned, like checking the biases, like acknowledging what they are and saying, I'm going to put them in a box. I'm not going to let those come into my conversation. I think you also have to spend just a moment of time making sure that you give to yourself what you need so you can show up. And here's what I mean by that. Um, For me, it's taking a couple deep breaths and looking at pictures of puppies because that for me makes me feel a little bit more whole and like I can be genuine and strong for the person who needs me to. So that'd be the first thing. I think making sure that you, if you have the option, give yourself a little bit of mental space and self-care before you dive in. Employees who've lost a loved one, they, you know, they might not want to talk or see people face to face. And I think that's an important thing to point out. They may feel uncomfortable just having their emotions be seen or heard by people. And so that's one thing. The first thing I just kind of do a gut check of, would they prefer to communicate via email or text or some way where they don't have to feel vulnerable in sharing those emotions? I also think on the other side of things, it it may be hard for the employees who didn't experience the the loss, their colleagues, if they learn that one of their employees has suffered a loss. And what I see a lot of times is you get these amazing people with good hearts and they have the best of intentions and they just want to reach out to the colleague and express how much they care. Um, and it can be overwhelming for the employee. So I think that's, that's one other watch out I would highlight is just making sure you ask the person if people wanted to reach out to you, are you okay with that? How would you like, how would you like us to navigate that? And then being respectful of it. If I can add one more thing to this, um, it would be that people don't always know what support is available to them or how flexible the company company may be, especially when you think about how the family unit and the definition of loved ones have changed. And so just as an HR practitioner, being available to the employee to hear what their request is and then figuring out how it fits with what your company has done before. You certainly want to be fair and consistent, but I think also just allowing the employee to share what their request is without making any promises and then figuring out what you can do. And that's the same guidance I'd give to managers because sometimes the employees go directly to them. They don't come to HR. And I would say to managers, just if an employee is sharing what you believe is a request, just listen and just say, I'm listening. I hear you. Let me let me make sure I understand your request and then connect with your HR practitioner. How does that how does that look if it's an employee? There's so many just new levels to to that response from from the perspective of this is somebody you know this is somebody that you work with um HIPAA I mean all of the sorts of um and maybe you'll start interacting with their families people you never knew obviously we can't go down the rabbit hole of everything you might experience as an HR practitioner but um you know what are maybe two or three things you should consider if you're dealing with the passing of an employee for me this is the toughest I I have only had it this happen a handful of times and it's like permanently in my heart when I think about them. A couple of things, I think you 
you have you usually have to notify your employee base and thinking deeply about how you're going to do that i'd also layer in letting your executives know oftentimes they have an opinion about culturally the message and the feeling the sentiment we want the employees to feel when you notify your employees i I like to make sure that I'm talking to my executives or my managers about how are we going to allow time and space for people to process this, share, ask questions so that we can help them and then also have resources available. Your EAP is right there at the top of the list um, and you might have other resources that help them deal with grief or loss. I will say that the hardest employee loss I've ever had, um, I learned that We had a team that really wanted to put something together, like as a send-off on behalf of the employee. Um, And it helped them move on. It helped them move on in a positive way. And they felt like they were honoring that person's memory. Someone put together some like elaborate scrapbook. It was beautiful. And that's one other thing I would highlight is if your employees feel like they want to do something to honor the employee who has passed, let them do it. And then one other thing, there's a lot of things making sure that you would want to do to make sure your current employee base is taken care of. But in the effort of, in the essence of time, I'm going to mention one that sits slightly outside of that, of what you would do to just make sure they feel taken care of. When you think about hiring a replacement, that is really sensitive. Um, and that's something that stood out to me when the the first um, loss of an employee I, I had and I wasn't thinking about it the right way. I moved a little too fast because we needed the support. And so the learning from that that I would share with this group is think about that. Spend the time thinking about how you're going to share that tactfully with the group and let them know the timeline before you jump in and post the job. It sounds like something so simple. I I fell into that trap because I I was juggling too many balls and I was just something I could check off the list. Um, And I wish I could do it differently. I wish I could go back and redo that one. I know I mentioned three, but I'm going to give you one more. Depending on the role, think about how you would notify customers. Um, Because often, especially if they're in like a sales role or a a highly customer-focused role, um, that's something that often matters a great deal. And definitely a scenario where you might need to seek outside counsel, potentially. I want to talk about one more scenario in, you know, October is Domestic Violence Awareness Month, and this episode is coming out in October. Um, And I would ask those listening to stay through the end of my discussion with Sarah, because I do have um, a special guest coming on to talk about some support that we want to do with our listeners. But let's talk about domestic violence, Sarah, when you have run into scenarios where um, this has come up. How have you handled that? What advice have you given to managers and those around um, this person and and for those who are listening in HR to handle a a very um, difficult, highly emotional situation? I think there's two ways I've seen this come up. One is someone believes an employee might be a victim and you, you can hear about it that way or the employee brings it up themselves. I'm going to focus on the employee bringing it up themselves because ultimately sometimes you get to that with the first scenario. There's a whole host of things to think of. You certainly have you know, resources like leaves of absences and time off available to people who are a victim of domestic violence, but you also have a lot of things that you have to think about in the workplace. At the top of the list, I'd put security and just like general safety in the building. You know, if you have a facilities department or 
you work in a building that has security, just simply notifying them, providing a picture if you have it. You may also need to notify the police department what's going on and if there is any concerns. And then that the other piece I'd I'd highlight is it's also just making sure that you check in with the employee who's going through this. They've probably got a lot that they're wrestling with, not only personal stuff, but they've probably just shared with you something that is very vulnerable and emotional to them. And if safety is a concern of theirs, they're coming into your workplace, bringing all of that stuff with them. So just, I think, staying closely connected to the individuals who might be impacted by it. Sarah, thank you so much for taking the time to meet with us and discuss such an important topic. You know, we ended talking about domestic violence. And so I wanted to link this podcast to a little bit about that initiative. So I've actually asked Rachel Reardon, one of our co-chairs for our She Rose Women Empowerment Group, um, our ERG here at Pilosity, to join me for just a moment and share a little bit about those details. Rachel, thanks for joining me. Thanks, Sherry. Appreciate you having me and giving me a chance to share. Um, it's really exciting to be able to support a group like this. So uh, for Shiro's, uh, it's very important that we get involved and support uh, folks that are in uh, a violent domestic violence situation because they really have a need for resources and we want to be able to provide those the best we can. So for each uh, download of this podcast in the month of October, we're going to donate $1 to the National Coalition Against Domestic Violence. Uh, so it's very exciting to be able to participate and uh, go ahead and, and download.